0: So, uh, this is going to be kind of a kind of a different sermon, kind of a weird type of sermon. If you're just joining us, we're kind of going through the book of Malachi over uh, six weeks. We started it last week. This is week two. We've got uh, four more weeks after this. And what's interesting is that this whole book is kind of heart surgery for God's people. It's the last book of the Old Testament, and uh, the people of Israel have been through a lot. They had been uh, rescued out of Egypt. They had been brought into a promised land. They had experienced times of faithfulness and lots of times of faithlessness. They'd been sent into exile. Now they're back in the land, and they had had all this vigor and excitement to be back in the land and to rebuild the temple and to worship God. But but they've just kind of gotten lukewarm now. They've gotten half-hearted. They've gotten kind of cold. And so the book of Malachi is this heart surgery, it's this wake-up call, it's this moment to get their attention, and that's a bit of what it is for us as well. These next few weeks, I'm going to tell you, are intense. Next week, God is going to address the reality that many men mistreat their wives. He's going to address that issue with Israel, we're going to address that issue with us. The week after that, God's going to address that the people of God tend to kind of Take justice a little bit too lightly. Get a little too comfortable with areas of injustice in their world. And so we're going to go after that. The week after that, God is going to address the fact that his people weren't giving with their whole hearts. They said they were devoted to God, but their finances didn't match it. And he's going to challenge them and challenge us to give financially in a way that says that God really is our first priority. So there's a lot of pain coming over the next few weeks. Don't miss it. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. It's going to be great, but but it's going to be hard. But but here's the reality: as I uh, come as one of the part of one of the members of our teaching team and try to come and and bring God's word to you, here's what I'm aware of: is that I'm not just sort of making you take your medicine, but I have to take it too. And so today is a passage where God is really he's he's definitely implicating the whole people, but in particular. He's setting his sights on the leaders. You maybe you've heard the expression, speed of the leader, speed of the team. And the godlessness and the half-heartedness and the lukewarmness that God is seeing in his people needs to first be addressed in his leaders. So this passage over and over and over, you see it says, oh, priests, oh, priests, oh, priests. The the spiritual leaders, the spiritual authorities who were supposed to keep the people on a wholehearted, passionate path toward Jesus have blown it. Now, we know that leadership matters. I mean, leadership impacts the dynamics and the culture of any group of people, uh, right? You know this at work, right? Some of you work in a place where everybody's late and everybody kind of goes through the motions, And they make commitments, and then they don't follow through on them. And it's kind of just a lousy place to work. And the reason is, yeah, those people are not all that great. Maybe you've even fallen into some of those things. But ultimately, the problem is a a leadership problem. It's a cultural problem. You have a leader who's allowed certain things to develop. He's allowed certain behaviors to go unchecked. We see this very easily when we look at families, when we look at kids. Kids. Right, You see a kid at the grocery store, and he's just throwing a tantrum, and he's totally losing it, and he's totally disrespectful, and he's hitting his mother. And like, part of you is like, gosh, that kid is terrible. But part of you is also like, what am I allowing my kid to do when they're hitting me? <laughs> see, because it's not just other people, it's us too. We've seen this actually in the world of sports. I know not all of you are sports people, but I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, and there's been a huge thing this week where um, all of these uh, leaders in the Houston Astros organization have been suspended and now been fired because of a cheating thing where some of the players on the Astros were, were using videotape to, to steal signs and to give a huge advantage that actually helped them win the World Series. And even though all of the players were the ones that hatched the idea and made it happen, the GM and the manager, those are the people getting suspended those are the people getting fired because ultimately the leader is responsible for what happens under their care. So this is a a message today that is especially for me. And it's especially for those of you who are in a position of spiritual leadership. Maybe you're a pastor here at our church or an elder here at our church. This is for you. Maybe you lead a small group, a redemption community. Maybe you lead a women's table or a men's fight club. Maybe you're a student ministry mentor or a volunteer in kids. Maybe you're a mom or a dad. And you've been put in a position of spiritual leadership. Maybe you're on staff with FCA or with a pregnancy center or with helping multiply and disciple church planters. If you're in spiritual leadership, this is especially for you. Now, all of us, like I said, all of us are implicated by this but especially those of us in leadership. The heart surgery is going to begin with us. So what I want to talk about today are three dangers for spiritual leaders and how to pray for us. Three dangers that I face, three dangers that other spiritual leaders face, three dangers that these leaders were facing. We're going to talk about those and talk about how to pray for us in that process. So let's pray. Let's ask God's help. Father in heaven, we come to you today and we ask you to speak to us. God, you have spoken by your word and now would you open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things in your word? God, rather than being resistant and combative and defensive, would we instead be soft-hearted and open to receive your rebuke? Would we believe the scripture that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted? God, you're a good friend. And so as you wound us, would you also heal us? Would you also bind us up? We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, there are three dangers for spiritual leaders, and uh, there's a lot at stake. As you read through this passage, one of the things you see is that if, uh, if spiritual leadership begins to crumble, God is made to look small. Uh, God's favor begins to disappear from his people. It displeases God when his leaders are this way. Uh, they actually even maybe begin to experience God's judgment. That's the funny part of chapter 2, verse 3. Did you notice that? Where he said, "'Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces.'" None of you laughed when we read that. I was like, are they reading this? Like, God just said, I'm going to wipe on your face, <laughs> right? Like, and, and he says, then I'm going to, I'm going to, you would be taken away with it. See, what would happen is when they would make these sacrifices, which we'll see in a moment where these half-hearted, lame, uh, weak sacrifices, when they'd make them, dung would come out. And that would be quickly removed and quickly taken away. And God says, hey, hey, the way I feel about you right now because of what you're allowing to happen, I feel like actually smearing your face in it, taking you out with all that. So God is not happy at what's going on. There's some real danger at stake. And the three dangers for spiritual leaders, here's the first one, is losing awe of God. Losing awe of God. Losing the wonder. Losing the sense of majesty of God. Here's what God says in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. He's just assuming that. And a good son honors his father, servant honors his master. If I then am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name? God's name should not be despised by his people and definitely not by his priests. God's name, as he says in verse 11, will be great among the nations. It will be great among the nations, again in verse 11. And in verse 12, it says, but you profane it. You don't don't take that seriously. You've gotten ho-hum around the majesty of God. The corrective is in chapter 2, verse 5, when God offers Levi as an example of a priest who was doing it right, and it says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. It's easy to lose your awe of God. When you become a follower of Jesus, God just seems so big. You're aware of your sin and you're aware of your failure and you're aware of all the ways that you've tried to be better, but you just can't. And in a moment, as you trust in Christ, he forgives you and he cleanses you and he welcomes you. He chases you down. He fights till you're found. That's what we were just saying. And he wraps his arms around you and God just seems big and majestic and holy. And he is. And over time, you just get more familiar with him. And some of that awe can diminish. We're familiar with this in a lot of our relationships, right? Like think about those of you, like I've got four kids. Think about the difference between my first kid and my fourth kid, right? My first kid, like something pacifier falls on the ground. It's like we drive it straight to the garbage dump, right? Fourth kid, we're looking for extra food on the floor that we can feed them, right? Like it's just different. Right? Some of you, you know it as it relates to dating versus being married. Right, When you dated, you wrote notes, and you gave flowers, and you planned dates, and you giggled, and you laughed, and you held hands, and you made out in all sorts of places you shouldn't have, but now you're married, and you send a text. But you've actually stopped doing that. It's just an emoji now. <laughs> and you don't really hold hands, and you don't kiss, and you—the magic—you uh, don't date, right? You, you see how this happens. Same thing can happen with God. This is a real danger for leaders, especially. This is a real danger for me. See, you're here right now, but I'll be here all day. And you're here whenever you're here. I'm here almost every week. I'm here for every service. Like By the time that you uh, start to know one of the new songs we're singing, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I, I know the Bible well. There's tons I don't know because it's this inexhaustible resource. But there's a lot that I know, and I have a lot of answers. And if you ask me a lot of questions, I can answer a lot of them. And so the Bible can feel real familiar, and I kind of know how God works. And, and I know how the kind of church game is played. I've seen the sausage get made. I know how it works. I know that in January, oh, man, a lot of people will be here and will be tempted to be like, oh, man, God is on the move. No New Year's resolutions. And I know that on Father's Day, no one will be here and will be tempted to go, oh, man, where are you, God? He's with the fathers out at the lake, right? That's where he is. And so I just know enough of that stuff. I can get cynical I can start to go, well, okay, yeah, I just, as long as I'm a good communicator and as long as we plan it well and as long as the music's good and the temperature's right, like, it'll be good. And I can lose awe of God. We're dependent on him for everything. That apart from him, Jesus told us, we can do nothing. And you can forget that. You get so familiar with the greatness of God that you start to go, eh, yeah, It's fine. That's what's going on here, and that's a temptation for us. Paul Tripp wrote a very helpful book for those of you in spiritual leadership. It's called Dangerous Calling. Dangerous Calling talks about the danger of this very thing. And he says in that book, he says, You see, it is absolutely vital to remember that a pastor's ministry is never just shaped by his knowledge, experience, and skill. It is always also shaped by the true condition of his heart. In fact, if his heart is not in the right place, all of the knowledge and skill can actually function to make him dangerous. Some of you have experienced that in leaders, haven't you? They were smart, and they were clever, and they had power, and they used it to make themselves great, and it hurt you. Trip continues, the spiritual danger here is that when awe of God is absent, it is quickly replaced by our awe of ourselves. See, we are awe-craving people. That's how God made us. He made us to worship. And worship is about awe of God. And if we lose our awe of God, something will fill that vacuum. And if you're a leader, two of the biggest temptations will be, if you lose awe of God, that vacuum will be filled by awe of yourself. And you'll begin to think that you're really important because you stand on a stage and preach under lights and strap a microphone to your face. Or, that awe of God will be replaced by awe of people. And you'll be paralyzed. Instead of being a leader, you'll be a politician. I'm reading right now the Gospel of Mark, and it's just amazing as you go through it how much the spiritual leaders that Jesus is constantly confronting are just everything they're about is how do people feel about this? Finger to the, to the wind. How's this, what do we think? Do we like Jesus? Do we not? Let's take a poll. Leaders, we can fall into that trap. So here's the thing. If you're a spiritual leader of any kind at this church or outside the walls of this church, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, here's what we need. Our church needs spiritual leaders who are in awe of God, who wonder at the majesty of forgiveness, at the glory of creation, at the beauty of how God redeems and renews and restores. We can never lose our awe of that. And so if you're not a spiritual leader, then we want you to be praying for those of us who are, and here would be a great prayer to pray. God, help our leaders live in a growing sense of awe for you. Let's actually pray that right now. God, help our leaders live in a growing sense of awe for you. Your name is to be great among the nations, and we don't want to make you look smaller than you are. Help us honor you with our awe. In Christ's name, amen. Here's the second danger for spiritual leaders, is giving God the leftovers. Giving God the leftovers, giving God what's convenient, giving God what's easy, rather than what's actually best, rather than what's actually Required. So if you read the Old Testament scriptures, what you find is that the people, as they offered sacrifices, that was the main way they worshipped, was offering sacrifices. And these sacrifices were to be offered uh, the offering of, of unblemished animals. They were to take the best of their herd. The, the, the one that you would most want to breed with. And instead of breeding with it and advancing your wealth and your property, you were to offer it to God. But instead, what's happening in Malachi's day is the priests have allowed people to give their leftovers. Instead of bringing an unblemished animal, they would bring one that had already been attacked by an animal and was injured, or one that was lame, or one that was blind, right? So instead of the best animal, oh, here's here's three-legged Timmy, our sheep, and we're going to offer that. This is what you see. Look at what it says in chapter 1, verse 7. How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? I, I love this analogy. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? This is God going, you wouldn't talk to your boss that way. You wouldn't disregard your supervisor at work. You wouldn't talk to the mayor of Queen Creek that way. Why would you think he would give me any less? He goes on again about it in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Verse 14, he says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. See, this one is, is for the people, but it's also for the priests, right? The people are the ones bringing these lame offerings. The priests are the ones allowing it to happen. And so one of the dangers of spiritual leadership is, is giving God our leftovers, giving God what's convenient and easy rather than what's best. I was convicted of this uh, just last month. December 8th was our second week of Advent. And Advent sermons, just to be honest with you, they're hard for me because they all relate to Christmas. And I feel like everyone knows a Christmas story. What am I going to say that's interesting? And so I, uh, I, I studied and I prepared. But, and I preached it that morning. And I got home. And Molly usually comes to the 5 p.m. service. And so I got home. And she said, well, how did it, how'd it go? And I was like, eh, it's fine. Uh, I don't think people weren't that into it and I wasn't that into it and it was okay. And uh, my flinch in that would be to blame you. <laughs> they weren't really listening. They didn't really, their hearts weren't that into it. But throughout the as I reflected on it and I thought, you know what? I expected God to do absolutely nothing through that sermon. And it felt like he delivered exactly what we expected. I didn't pray with a sense of urgency in it. I wasn't thinking, oh God, if you don't show up, this is pointless. I, I trusted in my study, and I trusted in my communication, and I trusted in my points, and I knew it was true, but it had no power. I mailed it in. I, I gave a I gave what was easy instead of what was best. I didn't know I was doing it, but I was doing it. I don't think I do that very often, but I did it then. Some of you are like, I need to go back and listen to that sermon. (laughs) Like, that'll be the most listened to sermon ever. You are like, I got to hear that, you know? And, And here's the thing, it might not sound that different to you. Most of you probably didn't know but I knew, and God knew. Here's the thing, leadership involves burden, it involves weight, it involves responsibility. There's a lot of expectations from the Lord, there's a lot of expectations from people, it's hard, it's difficult, there's a reason not many people should aspire to leadership. It's weighty, it's difficult. And so here's the temptation as leaders when things are weighty and difficult, we look for what's easy. We know, ah, oh, this conversation is going to be really difficult. Let me put it off. We know, ah, oh, this person, every time i around them, they're just super needy. Let me walk this other direction. You can start winging it. You don't pray as much. But as I said, this one isn't, this, this point in particular, this isn't just about the priests. This is also about the people. Because the people were the, bringing the bad sacrifices. The priests were allowing it. The priests were sanctioning it, the priests were okaying it, but the people were doing it. So we're all implicated really by this one of giving God the leftovers. Let me ask you, are you giving God your best when we gather here? Now we know that worship is more than what happens. We say all the time that all of life is all for Jesus. But it's interesting that before Malachi gets to the all of life issues later in the book, he starts with what happens when the people gather to worship. So when we gather, let me ask you, are you giving God your best? Are you here regularly on a week-in, week-out basis? Are you on time? Are you expectant? Do you come with the attitude of a worshiper that you are bringing God an offering of praise, an offering of thanksgiving, an acknowledgement that his name is great among the nations? Are you coming as a worshiper or are you coming as a consumer? I wonder what will be on the menu today from the stage. And I'll passively sit back and enjoy what they are offering. No, no, no. You come with an offering. Are you bringing your best? Are you singing like God is actually here? Are you listening like God is actually speaking through his word? Are you loving one another in your interactions before, after, and during the service as though love really is the greatest command? Are you giving financially as though God owns it all and deserves your best? See, we're all implicated here. And the temptation is to give God what's easy and what's convenient, not what's best. So, a good prayer to pray for this is God, help our leaders. And you could even say, help me. Give what's best, not just what's easy. Let's pray for that. Father, help our church, to give you what's best, not just what's easy. God, we don't want to give you sacrifices that cost us nothing. You've given it all, and we can't begin to repay you, but we can imitate your generosity as we worship. Help us do that. Amen. All right, here's the third danger that we're going to talk about for leaders. The third danger is shrinking from God's standards and truth. Shrinking from God's standards and truth. See, this is kind of what we get, uh, what we just talked about, is the people are coming, and the the priest should stand up and say, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not allowing that. But instead of of boldly standing forth and being courageous and not allowing people to do what costs them nothing, the priest shrinks back. Not only are they shrinking back in allowing these half-hearted sacrifices, but it seems that they're shrinking back in their their teaching. It says in chapter 2, verse 9, that they're showing partiality in their instruction. In other words, they're kind of going, well, this is going to be too offensive, this is going to be too difficult, this is going to be too hard, and they're going to just scratch the, the tickling ears. That's what they're tempted to do. That's what leaders are tempted to do. See, the greatest issue for most leaders is not knowledge, it's courage. We usually know what to do, but we lack the courage to do it. And so the danger for us as spiritual leaders is to be passively complicit. So just allow this. This is kind of the point of chapter 1, verse 10. Look at what it says. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar In vain. God's saying, I I just want one of all you priests, would one of you just shut the door someday and say, hey, if you're going to bring that in here, you can't come. God's saying, I would rather have nothing than to light the fire in vain, to have a useless offering of praise that is no offering. Would one of you have the guts to shut this thing off? I, I can think of times a lot as, a, as an athlete growing up where I would have a practice and everyone would be going through the motions and we'd half-hearted and no one's really working that hard. And at some point, partway through, the coach would go, all right, listen, you guys are dogging it, practice is over. Leave. Right? And he'd walk away. And the amazing thing is you, you would never go, oh yeah, sweet, practice over early. You'd always be like, oh my gosh, yeah, he was right, we stinked, we dogged it, like we got to do better. It was this wake-up call. And that's what God's saying. I wish that one of you would wake up. Here's the reality for us in leadership is that big, notable falls are bad, right? Some of you have experienced this where you've had to walk into a church and you didn't expect it, but your pastor had to get up and admit to an affair or admit to uh, it, mishandling money or admit to uh, abusing relationships or manipulating or pride. You've experienced that and it's devastating. It's terrible, But it seems like what God is equally concerned of is not just one big fall, but falling by a thousand little compromises, right? It's like getting eaten by a duck, just one little thing after another thing, after another thing. And listen, God doesn't want leaders to fall in big ways, but he also doesn't want leaders to just compromise in a thousand small ways. And one of the ways we can really compromise is in our teaching, in our instruction. So in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, he begins to talk about how the priests should have true instruction. They should guard knowledge. Why? Because it says this, verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. Here's the reality, if you're a spiritual leader, here's how I think about my role even as a preacher, is I'm a waiter, I'm not the chef. Do you get what he said there in verse seven? You're to be the messenger of the Lord of hosts, which means you're not the one originating the message, you're just carrying it. And I, I'm, I'm the waiter, I'm not the chef, God's the chef. He has prepared the meal of his word, my job is to carry it to your table and not add anything to it, and not take anything away from it. I can't, I can't walk it out and go, you know what? He didn't season this right. Let me add a little bit of my own opinions. I also can't go, you know what? They, they don't really like this. Let me get some chicken nuggets in here. they like that. I can't do that. But the temptation as a leader is to shrink back, to give people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, to start to speak as a representative of yourself rather than as a representative of God. The apostle Paul knew this was a danger because here's the thing, people want it. People are attracted to that kind of a thing. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 4. He says to Timothy, the guy he's mentoring in the faith, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, hint, this is a big deal, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's it's popular, when it's not. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's why the next series we're going to do is about countercultural convictions, areas where we need to deliver the truth of God's word to a culture that's walking away from him. So... How do we pray? We pray, God, help our leaders courageously teach your word and stand for what is right. Are you a leader? Stand for what's right. Give good instruction from the word of God. Let's pray for that. Father, we ask that you would help our leaders courageously teach your word and stand for what is right. Give us the wisdom to know what's best and give us the courage to do it, no matter what it costs. Amen. All right, to wrap this up, I wanna give you two concluding thoughts. Uh, The first one is this, I, I have, by God's grace, and I think by us seeking to follow the biblical instruction, I have elders who are tasked with the role of holding me accountable We as elders are part of this Redemption Church family, so they're helping hold us accountable. So there's accountability throughout this process to try to protect me and protect us from some of these dangers. So here's the deal. I don't really need or want like 1,500 new accountability partners as a result of this sermon, right? I don't need you constantly coming to me. How's your awe? How's your awe, Luke? How about the sermon? Did you mail it in this week? I I have people asking those questions. It doesn't need to be you. Um, be honest, I'm being honest with this whole thing, all right? Here's the thing, though: I do need 1,500 prayers, because I am far too tempted to lose awe of God and give my leftovers and shrink back. I, so I need you to pray. But here's the other thing you need to know: I'm a lousy savior the other spiritual leaders in your life, they're lousy saviors. Don't look to us to be the paradigm of great leadership. Look to the one who is the ultimate leader. Look to Jesus, because Jesus is the true shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep, right? And so when leaders disappoint you, and they have, and they will, don't stop looking at him. Because he won't let you down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the huge privilege and responsibility of having a role of influence and leadership in this church. Uh, God, you know that I don't take it lightly and yet you also know that I I don't always do it well. And so God, lead me and guide me. Lead us as a church, lead us as a congregation, lead us as a family of churches in redemption. God, we want to be a church that first and foremost is focused on you. We want to experience your power, your presence, your pleasure. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus.